So good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We'll continue with our discussion this evening. Srila Jeeva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We are on the eighth Anucheda, an introduction to the Guna Avatars, another manifestation of the Supreme Lord um, in his Paramatma feature. Last class was a bit of an introduction. Uh, I'm just going to read Jiva's uh, Anucheta from the beginning. Although we covered this, it'll at least bring some of the, uh, what was presented back to mind. Jiva's Anucheta, eighth one, reads as follows. After thus establishing the various forms of the one Purusha, His portions, Amsa, will now be further described. His portions are of two types, self-same, Swamsa, and differentiated, Vibhinamsa. It will be described that the Vibhinamsas are the living beings, the Jivas, who are of the nature of the intermediary potency, Tatasta Shakti, or in other words, the potency situated on the dividing line of and mediating between the intrinsic, and extrinsic potencies of Bhagavan. The Swamsas are of various types with divisions of Guna avatars, Leela avatars, and so on. Of these, the Leela avatars and others will be described in Sri Krishna Sandarbha due to the relevance of the context there. So in the previous Anucheta, the Purusha avatars were discussed, and now there were three in number. Now we go to the Guna avatars, which are also three in number. And uh, this discussion will uh, proceed for a, a few Anuchetas. So Jiva continues uh, in the same Anucheta. A lot of what we just had discussed in the last class was commentary on the Anucheta. So now the actual Anucheta. Here we begin to describe the Guna avatars as summarized by Sage Drumela. To King Nimi, this is from the 11th canto of the Srivan Bhagavatam, he quotes the following verse, that primeval Purusha, united with Rajas, appeared in the beginning as Brahma, for the creation of this universe. For its sustenance, he appeared as Bhagavan Vishnu, the lord of consecrated action, Kratupati, and the protector of Dharma and of the twice-born, endowed with Thomas, he appeared as Rudra for the destruction. This is how the creation, preservation, and destruction of the generations regularly proceed. Then Jiva gives more of an explanation in the Anucheta. This primary Ajya, Purusha, simultaneously presides over the three gunas of nature. Even so, it is simply out of transcendental play, Leela, of presiding over the various gunas individually that he also became Brahma in the beginning for the creation of the universe, which here means for the secondary creation, Visarga, enacted through the gunas of Rajas. So if we remember back, actually Jeev himself brought this up at the end of the Tattva Sandarbha, uh, the two descriptions of the 
ten major subjects of Srimad Bhagavatam, or actually of a Parada, a major Parada. So there's Sarga, the initial creation, which in which would be the manifestation of of the creation itself. We kind of touched on that earlier, where the Lord had a desire to create, and therefore uh, the linga or the that aspect of of creation resulted in his taking the form of uh, Karna Dakshai Vishnu and then proceeding that. We have Garbo Dakshai Vishnu. That's Visarga. Garbo Dakshai Vishnu presides over the secondary creation by first manifesting Lord Brahma. So he, within the universe, he is the the aggregate uh, personality through which all the uh, jivas manifest. It was mentioned uh, Samasti, Samasti, the, the main aggregate of all jivas, and then they're coming forth from him uh, through the agency of Brahma, who is the creator, with a little help from his friends, which he manifests. So first he comes, and then he uh, he gets the uh, the potency to manifest the material creation, and through him. Uh, through Brahma, then different agencies of creation come, the progenitors of mankind, the Manus, creating the diff- managing the different uh, periods of time, and so forth. But here it's saying, Jiva's saying, that this is all for Krishna's transcendental play. This is also part of his Leela, presiding over these various gunas as these three personalities. So this is going to be unpacked a little bit so that we can understand in proper context how these manifestations of Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva are also, are in themselves the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord. So can I, when you say Krishna's play, you mean Krishna or a Paramatma feature of Krishna? Is he the one that's playing, or is it? They're all playing. <laughs> the Paramatma is also part of Krishna's playing. Well, there's no difference between Paramatma and Krishna. It's just a different. He takes different on different functions according yeah. to the approach of his devotees. So there were some devotees that needed another universal manifestation so they could complete the course of their devotional service. So Krishna engaged in the leela of manifesting a universe. So if we see it from Krishna's point of view, it's all the leela, and his leela is done in what? In relationship to his devotees. So Jiva's already touched upon, and he'll also bring out this point, the whole material manifestation is simply for for his devotees. The thing is, the, the devotees of Krishna... They make other devotees. So even though uh, another creation manifestation of uh, of the material universe has come forth to give uh, jivas who didn't complete the course of their devotional service an opportunity to do so, in completing their course of devotional service, they make other devotees. And those other devotees 
may not complete their course. Maybe a lot of them do. Maybe there's some that, as we say, are left behind. So when Krishna wraps up the material universe, then, well, wait, what I have to deal with these devotees now, I have to, I have, I have to, to manifest uh, universes so they can complete their devotional service to me. So from the Vaishnava viewpoint, everything, all the leela of the Lord is centered on the Lord's reciprocation between himself and his devotees. And that's the jiva perspective that's coming to us through these sandarbhas. Jiva Goswami goes on. For the sustenance of the universe, the Purusha became Vishnu through the guna of sattva. It is to be added after the word Vishnu to complete the intended scent. This will be unpacked further so that we have no confusion regarding Vishnu being in any way controlled by the modes of material nature. Whereas Brahma and Shiva, to some extent, have more of a direct contact. But from a ontological point of view, in order that we understand the goodness of material nature, he's looked at as if he's connected with sattva. And, but he's not connected the way Brahma is to Rajas and Shiva is to Thomas. He's fully transcendental. In this verse, Jiva goes on, however, there is no explicit mention of sattva because Bhagavan's original nature in the Vishnu form is not eclipsed while carrying out the act of sustenance. And thus it would have been improper to express even figuratively a relation with sattva gun. So Jiva is making it very clear. We may think he does preside over sattva, but there's really, keep in mind, he's still unaffected in any way whatsoever by the modes of material nature, even though he apparently, well, he does preside over the mode of goodness. He's not really in touch with, with that in any way as an as a constraining factor. As the sustainer, Vishnu is the lord of the consecrated action, meaning that he is the bestower of their results. His form as yagna, the sacramental offering personified, has been counted among the lila avatars by Brahma in the second canto. Vishnu is also the bridge, Setu, to cross over to the final destination, meaning he is the proprietor of both the twice-born and of religious integrity, Dharma. So Jiva's made it clear that it's not explicitly stated in the verse that Vishnu accepted Satvagun, although he does sustain the cosmos through that mode of material nature. In the case of Brahman Rudra, however, it is mentioned that they accepted the respective gunas. 
of Rajas and Thomas to perform their functions. Jiva draws the conclusion that this phrasing is meant to show that Vishnu is transcendental to all three gunas, even though he is the support for the function of sustenance, which is carried out through sattva. But still, we see that it isn't mentioned, so that there's no confusion. So the Shastra doesn't mention it in relationship to Vishnu, his relation with the guna of sattva, the way he does of Brahma and Shiva, who accept those gunas. If we look to the Bhagavat Sandarbha in the 47th Anucheda, uh, Jiva commented that Vishnu is Visuddha Sattva, pure Sattva or transcendental being existence. So we do say Visuddha Sattva or Suddha Sattva in relationship to a transcendental being existence, that's the way it's put here. Within the modes of material nature, sattva gun is never visuddha <clears throat> or suddha. It's always tinged by Rajas and Thomas. There's always a mixture. But there is a transcendental mode of goodness, which is not tinged, and it's referred to as Sudasattva or Visuddhasattva. To say Sudasattva in relationship with the sattva as we experience in the material realm would be inappropriate. Vishnu is also called Kretu Pati because he awards the results of Kretu's consecrated actions as Yajna. So, if you perform and what we could expect consecrated actions is referring to are those actions which are authorized in scripture. So, performing those, then you get the result. Otherwise, what would be the purpose of scripture if it was just a, you know, there are some exaggerations in scripture, but there are also proper uh, sacrificial um, recommendations which if carried out properly you do get the result of and we also know that if they're carried out improperly you'll get no result or an opposite result depending on the circumstance so if you mispronounce or there's a wrong intonation of a word, then getting a enemy of Indra, you will get Indra will become the enemy, and then Indra will come out victorious, which may not be the result you're looking for if you're trying to get back at Indra for taking the life of your son. As Yajna, he is counted amongst the Leela avatars as described in Bhagavat Purana. 2.7.11 While as Kratupati Vishnu he is a Guna avatar he is called Dvija Dharma Setu a bridge for the twice born and Dharma the word Setu bridge implies that he is the support of Dharma 
and he who carries the twice-born across to their final destination, acting like a bridge over the ocean of material existence. The Anacheta proper continues as follows. For the destruction of the universe, through Thomas, he became Rudra. In this way, creation, sustenance, and dissolution occur. The occasions of the descents of Brahma and Rudra are ascertained in the Moksha Dharma. Then he quotes from the Mahabharata Santiparva. Krishna said, When the night of Brahma was over, O lotus-eyed Arjuna, by the mercy of Bhagavan, who has immeasurable prowess, a lotus appeared from his navel. Then, by the grace of the same Bhagavan, Aniruddha, Brahma was born from that lotus. At the end of the day, Rudra, the annihilator, was born as Brahma's son, arising from his forehead when he was overcome with anger. The occasion of Bhagavan Vishnu's appearance is described in the third canto. little commentary here on the verse we just read from the Mahabharata. This is spoken by Krishna to Arjuna. And uh, it was in response to Arjuna's inquiry about the meaning of Krishna's names. The name, the form of Bhagavan mentioned here is Aniruddha. This should be taken to mean Prajumna, since it is known that Brahma takes birth from Prajumna. Jiva's pointing out that this, this verse from the Mahabharata is the nomenclature isn't correct because Brahma is coming forth from Pradyumna, Sankarshan, Pradyumna, Aniruddha, Sankarshan being representative Karna Dakshad Vishnu, Pradyumna being representative Garba Dakshad Vishnu, and Aniruddha as Kashira Dakshad Vishnu, or the Atryami within the heart of every living entity. So if we stick to that, which Jiva's already verified through scriptural reference, and we come to this verse from the Mahabharata, then we can see, well, actually we know that Brahma does come forth from Garbhodakshai Vishnu. And although it says here Aniruddha, it's not right. The Bhagavatam verse from the third canto specifically mentions that Vishnu entered the lotus of the cosmos and gave it stability. This is the function of Vishnu, the deity of sattva. Without his presence, nothing would exist. The word sattva thus literally means beingness. Okay, so back to Vishnu. Evidence regarding Vishnu from the third canto of the Bhagavatam. His appearance. Vidura. O Vidura, Bhagavan, Vishnu himself, entered that lotus, which encompasses all the worlds, in which all the qualities, gunas, were apparent. Then the creator Brahma, the personification of the Vedas, whom they call self-born, appeared on that lotus. Bhagavan Vishnu himself entered that lotus which encompasses all the worlds in which all the qualities, gunas, were apparent. 
than the creator Brahma, the personification of the Vedas, whom they call self-born, appeared on that lotus. The creative potency for the manifestation of a material universe is all present there within the lotus upon which Brahma is born. So when you say Vishnu entered the lotus, we're talking about that potentiality of manifestation of the universe. He entered that and, and therefore there's all that potentiality for the manifestation of the universe. And then Brahma took birth on that universe and under Krishna's direction after mature meditation he was able to take all the ingredients and manifest a universe. Jiva explains the verse as follows himself in the Anucheta. The explanation of this verse is as follows. The lotus encompasses all the worlds and it brings to light all the qualities, gunas, by which is meant the objects to be experienced by the living beings. The Purusha, called Sri Narayan, from whom this universe was born, took the appellation of Vishnu and entered the lotus as the imminent self, Antaryami, i.e. Paramatma, who is the maintainer. The prefix pra, indicating prominence, added to the root this, to enter, means that he entered in an imminent manner, namely, without losing or diminishing any of his powers. The causative form in the verb root, pavi vasat, so now Vishnu's breaking out the Sanskrit explanation, does not alter the simple meaning of the root to enter. When the lotus had achieved stable existence because of Bhagavan Vishnu, then he himself next became Brahma for the sake of creation, because only when clay is present can clay pots be manufactured. Therefore, elsewhere it is also said, the one supreme Purusha takes the name Hari Vishnu Virinchi, Brahma and Hara Shiva for the purpose of sustenance, creation and dissolution. Jiva takes that explanation from the Srimad Bhagavatam also. So the English translation of that verse from the Bhagavatam is the one supreme Purusha takes the name Vishnu, Brahma and Shiva for the purpose of sustenance, creation and dissolution. Going on to the ninth Anucheta. The Purusha is the root of the three trunks of the universal tree. Jiva Goswami continues. Uh, <clears throat> Similarly, Brahma prayed to Garbhodakshai Vishnu. Obeisances to Bhagavan who manifests himself as the tree of the worlds. Though this tree is one, after separating out from its root in his own self, it grew into three trunks. Myself, Brahma, Bhagavan Vishnu and Shiva for the sake of the creation, sustenance and dissolution of the universe and therefore expanded into numerous branches. 
That's from the third canto of the Bhagavatam. Jiva goes on. In this verse, the word tripat is explained by Sridhar Swami in the following paraphrase. That very same one, tree, is tripat, having three feet, divisions or trunks in the form of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Because Bhagavan is being described through the metaphor of a tree, these three are identified as trunks. Although the word pada is tripat, in tripat literally means feet. So it's a different application of, of the uh, terminology that's used in the verse. So in this verse, the root would be Garbhodakshai Vishnu, the second Purusha avatar. And the Vishnu who is counted amongst the three trunks would be Kashirodakshai Vishnu, the third Purusha avatar. The word tripat literally means three feet, but Sridhar Swami glosses it as three trunks. This explanation is given in accord with the metaphor of a tree. The word pot or pata could also be seen um, as a division. So it also has that definition. No, it's not. So therefore, it's not wrong to interpret it as a tree. In the Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter, the cosmos is described as having roots up and branches down. The reason for this is to show that the source of the cosmos is of a subtle nature and situated beyond it. Here the metaphor of a tree is employed to indicate that the three, three guna avatars are rooted in the second purusha. More of an explanation. The Purusha is the root of the three trunks of the universal tree. He adds another verse from the fourth canto. The appearance of the Guna avatars is described by Maitreya to Vidura. Seeing the three worlds being tormented with the fire produced by the fuel of Pranayam and rising from the Muni's head, the three lords, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, went to his hermitage while being glorified by the Apsaras, Munis, Gandharvas, Siddhas, Vidyadharas, and Uragas. The word Muni thinker here refers to Atri. The verse is found in the following context. Atri is one of the sons of Brahma. Being ordered by Brahma to create Progeny, Atri went to Riksha Mountain to engage in penance, along with his wife, Anusuya. He controlled his mind through pranayam and tolerated the heat and cold for an entire century while standing on one foot. That must be one of the popular types of tapasya. Anranyakasipu also stood on one foot, didn't he? Dhruva Maharaj. In the course of doing so, he held the following thought in his mind. So he's meditating. I seek refuge of him who is the supreme regulator of the universe. Maybe, 
may he bless me with offspring like unto himself. So he's, he's been assigned with creating progeny and he wants to do the job right. So he, he just like Brahma, Brahma wanted to do the creation right. Therefore, he engaged in tapa. So again, this is carrying forth in Atri, who's one of Brahma's sons. He wants to create progeny nicely uh, for his father, who has ordered him to do so, and he first engages in Tapasya, and he holds this thought in his mind. His meditation is, I want to seek refuge of him who is the supreme regulator of the universe. But he's not specific. Atri did not pray to any specific god by name, and so all three guna avatars, being overlords of the universe or regulators of one of the functions of creation, sustenance, or dissolution, appeared before him. So his his austerities and his meditation, the way he performed it was not specific, and because of the general way he was thinking that he wanted the overlords of the universe, well, how do you put it, uh, the supreme regulators of the universe, they all three came. They all three appeared before him. Why they did so, Atri inquired. My intention was that the one supreme ruler of the universe may appear to me, but there are three of you. Which of you, then, is the one I was invoking? And that's from the Bhagavatam. That's in the Bhagavatam, that discourse. The lords laughed and answered, The three of us taken together represent the truth on which you contemplated. Subsequently, all three took partial incarnations as Atri's sons, Soma, the moon god, was a portion of Brahma, Dattatreya of Vishnu, and Durvas of Shiva. So in Hindu, the Hindu common understanding is uh, they accept these three as the Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they feel there's no difference between Vishnu and Shiva in their general understanding. Therefore, in India, you will find more temples to Shiva than to Vishnu because he's considered the supreme, but he's easier to please. And he gives results, material results easily to those that worship him. And Ocheta 11, which of the three regulators is supreme? So Vishnu's Jiva Goswami is really emphasizing the position of Vishnu in a in a very uh, forceful way, so that there's no no misunderstanding. So he continues with another story from the Bhagavatam. There is also the story narrated by Sukha, beginning with this verse: "O King," it's from the tenth canto. Once the sages assembled on the bank of the river Sarasvati. During their discussion, the question arose as to which of the three regulators, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, 
is Paramat. Is what? Paramat. 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 Jiva continues. The abode of Bhagavan Vishnu is the milk ocean. Kashiro Daka. Because it is well known from the Uttara Khanda of the Padma Purana that the Devas, headed by Brahma, go there repeatedly to supplicate Bhagavan for, for the protection of the universe. His abode is also famous as Vishnu Loka. And the Brihat Sahasra Nama, Padma Purana Uttara Khanda 71-141, also among the collect of names of Bhagavan Vishnu, one of his names is he whose abode is the ocean of milk. In some places, the lord of Swetadrip is called Aniruddha because he is directly a manifestation of Aniruddha. In this way, the relative superiority of the three gods is made explicit by means of a test. Yes, this is the test that Brigubani performed at the behest of the uh, the sages. The sages' question is, which of these three is, is supreme? Uh, so they were they were having a big conference at the uh, on the bank of the Saraswati. And the question came up, which of the three gods, Brahma, Vishnu, or Shiva, is Paramat? Um, and they assigned Brigamuni to do the investigation. So he first went to Brahma, who was his father, and uh, customarily when the son approaches the father, there should be some respect shown. Um, but he did not praise him. He showed him no respect. And Brahma became furious, really. Uh, and he glared at, glared at him with eyes of anger, but he didn't take any action uh, because there was some affection. This is my son, so he didn't. He just became angry. You should know better than that. So that was Brahma's response, was the anger. He next went to Kailash to see his brother, who was Shiva. And uh, Shiva saw his brother coming, so there's some camaraderie there, fraternity. Shiva got up to embrace him, and Brigumani avoided him. I'm not going to embrace you. Look at you. You're covered with ashes. Uh, you're wearing a, a choker of skulls, <laughs> a garland of skulls. So I mean, you don't even follow the injunction of the of the of the scriptures or social convention. Uh, why would I want to touch? Why would I want to touch and embrace your body? So Shiva also became furious, but his fury manifested. Uh, a little more uh, strongly, he actually took his trident and started to attack Brigu Muni, 
And luckily for Brigamuni, Parvati fell at Shiva's feet and said, Brahman, whoa, can't do it. You can't kill your own brother. That would be just too much of a ghastly deed uh, to perform. Brigu moved on to Vaikuntha. And um, <clears throat> therefore, that's why Jiva brought out the fact of the Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu in his, he was trying to bring out the fact that, understand that he didn't go to Vaikuntha, although he did go to Vaikuntha, but he went to Vaikuntha within the material world. In the ocean of milk, uh, Lord Vishnu has his own place within every universe. So he approached uh, Vishnu and he had noticed that uh, well, he was having a little nap on Lakshmi's, Lakshmi's lap. He was laying there and uh, Muni kicked him on the chest. And uh, Vishnu immediately got up and he said, Oh, sage, please come and have a seat. I was unaware of your arrival, so I did not welcome you properly. Please forgive me. Your feet are so soft and my chest is so very hard. You must surely be feeling some pain after kicking me. Saying this, Vishnu began to massage Brigu's feet. He continued, O sage, all my sins have been dispelled by the touch of your feet. From this day, I have become the sole abode of Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth. She will henceforth dwell on my bosom, bearing the mark of your foot. And then uh, Brigu, of course, felt great joy and fell into you know, ecstasy. He couldn't say anything. His voice choked up. Tears came to his eyes and he couldn't utter a single word. So he departed and went back to the sages on the bank of the Saraswati and he narrated the story. And thus the superiority of uh, Bhagavad Vishnu is put forth for he is the reservoir of all uh, virtuous qualities. Jeeva explains, this is also a bit of more of a unpacking of an understanding of the fact that although the Bhagavatam verse we could think that he went to Vaikuntha, Jeeva explains that just as Bhagavan appears as an avatar in the material world, so too his eternal abode manifests within the cosmos. A reference to such an appearance is found in the eighth canto of the Bhagavatam. So I'll stop there for this evening with that narration. Thank you so much.